0: Good morning, Uh, Bible reading today is 1 Corinthians uh, 1 to 9, be on the screen or in your leaflets. Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his people, his holy people together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ their lord and ours grace and peace to you from our from God our father and the lord Jesus Christ i always thank my god for you because, because of his grace given you in christ jesus for in him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge god thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end, so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord.
1: Thanks, Ben. Welcome, everyone. My name's Colin. I'm the pastor here. Welcome to you watching on Zoom as well. Well, have you ever ever accidentally read someone else's letter or email or maybe even sent a letter or an email to the wrong person? I've got um, a cut in from a paper in the US now. It's from the early um, 2000s when the sort of, internet was newish. A Minneapolis couple decided to go to Florida to thaw out during a particularly icy winter. They planned to stay at the same hotel where they had spent their honeymoon 20 years earlier. Because of the hectic schedules, the husband left Minnesota and flew to Florida on Thursday, his wife flying down the following day. The husband checked into the hotel. And there was a computer in the room, new in those days. So he decided to send an email to his wife. However, he accidentally left out one letter in her email address. And without realising his error, sent the email. Meanwhile, somewhere in Houston, a widow had just returned home from her husband's funeral. He was a pastor who had had a heart attack and died. The widow decided to check her email, expecting messages from relatives and friends. After reading the first message, She screamed and fainted. The widow's son rushed into the room and saw the email which read, To my loving wife. Subject, I've arrived. I know you're surprised to hear from me. They have computers here now, and you're allowed to send emails to your loved ones. I've just arrived and have been checked in. I see that everything has been prepared for your arrival tomorrow. Look forward to seeing you then. I hope your journey is as uneventful as mine. P.S. Sure is hot down here. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great one, isn't it? I love that one. I've been dying to use that for years and i have finally, it. Finally... Well, if you flick through the rest of 1 Corinthians first, before this passage we've read this morning, and then come back to this opening... You'd be forgiven for thinking Paul sent this, at least the first page, to the wrong church. Because they're addressed as holy people or saints. He's always thanking God for them. He says they've been enriched, that they don't lack any spiritual gift. Sounds like a great church. But a good proportion of this letter is Paul addressing big problems this church has got. Lots of confusion over a range of issues. So, earlier in the week, I met with the other senior pastors from the Trinity Network of church, 14 of our churches. Um, and we have a time of sharing how things going in your church. But imagine we're going around the table, you know, people, mission plans for term four, teams being built up, new staff employed. Imagine if one of them then said, Oh, well, our people are obsessed with status. We've got big divisions over which pastor people are following. Some of our people are suing other people from church in court. At our last community lunch, our rich people were all being all showing. they were drunk by the time everyone else got there. We've got some involved in sexual immorality, which would make a pride march uh, organiser blush. And they're boasting about it. And we've got all sorts of confusion and arguments about food offered to idols, being married or single, problems in marriages. Not to mention the who-how we've got going on about spiritual gifts and the shamozle that our services have become. Apart from that, we're doing great. Imagine if we, what would we how would we respond to that? Paul Arrington would probably close that church down, wouldn't he? So, but this was the sort of distressing news that Paul has heard about the state of the church in Corinth through letters and through verbal reports. And yet, the Apostle Paul gives thanks for them. He calls them sanctified, enriched, and gifted. I mean, why? Well, it's because of the gospel, because of what God has done for them, for us. In Christ Jesus, the good news that as badly as they are going, they're standing before God as redeemed and forgiven is secure. So this isn't a letter to a bunch of Christians getting it right. It's a letter to a church getting lots of things badly wrong. And yet the opening is one of thankfulness because of God's grace. Because of what God has done for them in his kindness. And I don't know what kind of month you've had, or day, or week, or year. But I bet all of us have our own confusions, our own struggles, our own sins. Both the ones that we're burdened with guilt about, and the ones we haven't even noticed in ourselves yet. And we do need to sort all that out. But what we need to do before we get into any practical correctives... Anything we do is to do what Paul does here and remember what God has done for us. Remember who we are in Christ. Remember grace. And that's what we try to do here every week. uh, Keep going on about God's grace to us. And that's what we'll keep coming back to in this series in 1 Corinthians. Because there is a lot of correction, a lot of do's and don'ts in this letter. And I don't expect our issues are exactly the same as the Corinthians, but I do expect their issues to convict us, make us uncomfortable about the things we need to sort out with God's help. So it's important we come to these things in the same context Paul gives the Corinthians, in the context of grace, our standing as forgiven, blameless before God. In other words, we don't come to church We don't need to come to church pretending everything is okay or only come when we feel good enough about ourselves. We come here to remember and throw ourselves on God's grace to call on Jesus' name for our standing before him and work out how to live for him from that position of grace as an outworking and knowing God's grace. So there's an outline in your leaflets. Today we're going to look at this so of big hello that opens letter introduces a bunch of the themes of the letter and and only it's all about what god has done god's grace to paul and then god's grace to the corinthians in the past present and future so first of all god's grace to paul so about this church. This church in Corinth established about 50 AD when Paul arrived from Athens. He linked up with Aquila and Priscilla, stayed there for 18 months preaching and teaching. And there's lots of good things came from that ministry, lots of fruit. And you can read about that in Acts 18. Acts 18, that's your homework. So there's a a map here, I think. Corinth was an important um, port at the center of trade and routes because you can see... Um, that little strip of land, so that's a massive when shipping was dangerous and expensive. That was a massive shortcut um, to go across that six kilometers of land. So as a result, business there was was booming uh, and growing a wealthy class. It was a cosmopolitan multicultural city. It was under the rule of the Roman Empire, but was heavily influenced by its Greek heritage and as well as by Eastern cultures brought in by traders There was a Jewish community there, and it also had lots of, a multitude of gods and faiths. So commercially prosperous, multicultural, and a supermarket of spiritual and philosophical options, not a million miles away from today's Australia. So Paul begins with this greeting, a very traditional greeting, that's being transformed. Have you heard of ChatGPT? It's, a, it's an artificial intelligent thing. You can put in text and ask it to transform it into different styles, I think is the funniest thing to do with it. So, see on your leaflet there, there's a greeting that I'm sure you read every week and you haven't forgotten existed right on the front page of your leaflet. It's a traditional greeting, okay? Well, there was tr- Paul um, transformed his traditional greeting. I've transformed that. Into a limerick for you. Here we go. Well, chat GPT has. There once was a church, don't you see, where newcomers were greeted with glee. If it's your first time, we hope it's sublime and you felt welcome as welcome can be. It's pretty good, isn't it? Well, Paul takes the standard greeting from the Greco-Roman world and transforms it with the gospel from the very first line. So most letters, almost all letters in this era began with the name of the writer, the name of the recipients, greetings, and then an item of thanksgiving or a prayer. And Paul's letters follow the standard but seeped in grace. So verse 1, Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. Need your false teeth in for that one, don't you? So, Paul's asserting his authority here, like we talked about last week. He's an apostle. He is Jesus' specially appointed eyewitness, authorized ambassador, apostle. So, he carries the legit, authorized, official gospel message. And we'll see in coming weeks that uh, the Corinthians are obsessed with status. So even in this introduction, Paul is helping them turn that upside down, thinking the right way up with the gospel. Is Christ's apostle not because he's a top bloke, not because not for status, but because God, in His kindness, chose him, called him. Called there is the idea of being summoned, called up, told told what you're doing and where you're going. So he, even his being an apostle isn't about him at all it's about jesus right from the first line that's why in lots of paul's letters you'll see him being completely self-depreciating but supremely confident and actually a bit bossy about his ministry authoritative complete authority with complete humility and that's worth bearing in mind for us as we hold out the gospel in words and the things we do to our friends and family and neighbors and colleagues. Because people, if they're being generous, they'll think that we're a bit religious because we're just into spiritual things or because we are raised that way. If they're less kind, they'll think we're Christians because we're needy or because we think we're better than them. And that can be so common that we can end up taking those attitudes on board but the truth is we're simply getting on with the job that god called summoned us to do sharing the gospel message he gave us through the apostles it's his message it's not about us at all so that's god's grace to paul and he's uh, greeting expresses thanks for god's grace to the corinthians God's grace to the Corinthians, past, present, and future. So past, first of all. What Jesus has already done, their standing before, um, who they already are are in Christ, is their basis of their standing before God. Verse 2. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. So they are church or ecclesia gathering of God in Corinth. And when we talk about church, we are in one sense talking about the local church, so Trinity Church, Wilcroft, the local gathering. But like the Corinthians, we are also part of God's worldwide church with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So everyone confessing the resurrected Jesus as Lord, trusting in him for salvation, gathering around him through his word and by his spirit. So each church is a complete church in one sense, so we don't need to join together with another church to be a complete church. We are a complete church, and yet all of us, all around the world, are a church as well. are sanctified in Christ Jesus. So sanctified, we tend to hear that and think of God working in us to make us progressively more holy, to be more like Jesus. And that is right. That's part of the biblical picture. But actually, there's a good case that the emphasis of the New Testament when it talks about sanctification is our positional sanctification. That is the fact that we have been Set apart, chosen, pulled out, and set apart by God. Chosen in his mercy to be his people. So I'm, I'm getting a bit old. So do, do anybody, does anybody have best china still? Who has best china? You know, so sort of A special posh dinner service we had growing up. The posh dinner service, it only came out on special occasions. And we all hated it because you weren't allowed to put it in the dishwasher. It was set apart for a special purpose. So just, a, just as in the um, temple, plates and bowls were set aside for God's use. So the Corinthians, so any Christian, is set aside to be exclusively devoted to Jesus and his service. So that's you and me, sanctified, set apart for Jesus and his service. Called to be his holy people, chose to live for Jesus his way. Is holy people. Now, traditional translations have holy people there as saints, called to be his saints. But in general English and Roman Catholic usage, though, saints has come to mean, when you think of a saint, you think of someone especially well-behaved or devoted to God, don't you, I think. And the trouble is that kind of gives a sense, the impression that living a godly life is the exception, just for special people, rather than the norm. And it makes it sound like sainthood is something... We do an honor. It's like an honor that God's kind of obliged to give us because we've been so good. Whereas in fact, the truth is our sainthood, our holiness, is all gift. It's a gift from God, all by grace, our righteousness won for us by Jesus. So the church I grew up going to back in the UK was called St. Margaret's. St. Margaret's. And apparently the very spiritual reason it was called St. Margaret's is because several of the founder's wives were called Margaret. So by that estimation, welcome to St. Graham's Church. It's, really, it's great to have you along here. But actually, that's closer to the truth, isn't it? I'm looking forward to morning tea put on by St. Janine, St. Jude and St. Robin. It's great to hear your kids talk from St. John. We're saints. We've been called, summoned, set apart, and made holy by God through Christ to be holy. To join the dots between who we are now uh, in Christ and then how we live that out. And that's the identity piece of the puzzle that's gone missing for the Corinthians. They've forgotten that they're chosen, set apart in this way. And their behavior and attitudes have become more like Corinth's. Than like Jesus's. And yet, Paul is thankful for them. Paul is thankful for them. You see, there's a story we can tell about the Corinthians, what they had done. And we'll see that story over the coming weeks, and lots of it isn't pretty. But there's also another story we can tell a deeper, more important story that's the foundational truth about the church in Corinth. And about us. What God has done. The story of what God has done. Verse 4. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way. With all kinds of speech and with all, kinds of, with, with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. I mean, this church in Corinth is a bit of a train wreck. But suppose you do come across a literal train wreck. And you see someone lying by the side of the tracks. What's the first thing a responder, first responder does? They see if they're alive. Check for signs of life. And Paul is thankful because despite all the faults of this Corinthian church. They are alive in Christ. They know God's grace to them in Christ. He's brought them from death to life. From darkness to light. They're Christian. It's true of them. And it's true of you and me. We're alive. God reckons we're still worth working on. However bad we might be now, God can bring us back to full spiritual health. In fact, he promises to make us perfectly healthy, perfectly holy when Jesus returns for a perfect whole eternity with him. So that's what's God's grace to them in their past. And then in their present, that work has already got already got underway in them, as demonstrated in all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. Paul probably picking on those transformations in them because those were areas they were becoming pretty pleased with themselves about. So straight off the bat, Paul is helping them give God the credit for giving them these gifts by grace. And redirecting their focus, not onto the gifts of the grace, but on the purpose of the gift. God being glorified by building up his church. And where does that leave them? Verse 7. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. You do not lack any spiritual gift. We'll see, actually, there is a lot lacking about this church. Not at least some common decency among them. But if we have a good look at ourselves, there's a lot lacking in us as well, isn't there? But here's the thing: we're not hopeless. God will gift us, give us what we need to get to the end. The flip side of that is that when we are going well, we don't need to get puffed up and pleased with ourselves. Because the ability to go well was a gift from God. And this issue of gifts, Paul will come back to. Actually, where it says spiritual gifts in verse 7 in your Bible there, it's it's translating the same word as the word grace in verse 4. So you could legitimately put spiritual gifts in verse 4. You could put grace in verse 7. The point is, not to get tied up in the gifts. The point is that whatever we have to be getting on with, um, to get to it, to, to keep becoming more holy, whatever we have is a gift. It's been given to us by grace. And our part is just to receive it, accept it, and not reject it. So that's their past and their present. What about their future? We're guaranteed enough grace to keep us going until the end. Verse 8. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So there is coming a day when Jesus will return. This time to judge, to set everything right. And make everything new. And the promise is. When we trust and belong to him. His perfect record is credited to us. So that even pork chops like the Corinthians. Even sinners like me and you. Get to stand before God. Hidden in Christ. Considered. Blameless. Blameless. Jesus has literally taken the blame for us. And we are, with his help, we're all going to make it. So what are some of the takeaways for us from this? Just to bring it together. Well, we saw it last week in 2 Thessalonians that so we had to follow the Apostle's example. So let's follow his example of thankfulness, first of all. In particular, let's be thankful for one another. For church. See we can get so used to. Doing church. Or so planning church. Getting Sunday stuff done. Um, just the logistics of getting to church. That we can forget. To be thankful. That we've been specially chosen. God's picked us out. Set us apart. And chosen by God. To gather together as his body. To start fulfilling scripture. Things like Malachi chapter 1 verse 11. My name will be great among the nations from where the sun rises to where it sets. My name will be great among the nations, says the Lord. Here we are, thousands of years later, on the other side of the world, fulfilling things like that. Picked out to fulfill things like that. So let's be thankful for one another. Secondly, I wonder what letter would you have written to the Corinthians? Would I have written? Well, what Paul does here is to begin pastoring them in the gospel. Pastoring them in the gospel. That is, the good news about Jesus isn't just how you become saved. The gospel is the answer for all of life. It gives better answers, better solutions than our world or our culture offers in all areas of life. So when you are helping one another, when a friend comes to you with with problems, you could both brainstorm practical solutions. But a better thing to do first is to go over the gospel again. Maybe come back to these very nine verses that we've looked at. And work out how these realities come to bear on the situation you're facing. And those dots can be hard to join up sometimes. But time and time, time, and time again I've seen that that's where the real lasting long-term benefit and change comes from. Pastoring one another in the gospel. So like Paul, make God's grace that we already enjoy your starting point. Third, live holy lives by returning to grace. Remember who we are and what our purpose is. We are set apart by God to be dedicated to His service as His holy people. In other words, our lives are factually, in reality, not about us at all, but all about serving Him. And it's just a question of how much the way we live our lives lines up with that reality. We need to keep returning to this truth, continually reforming our lives, our ambitions, the way we use our time, energy, money, how we do relationships. To be set apart for God's honor and glory. And it can be hard to honestly face up to areas that we need to change in our own lives. But getting the gospel right, remembering grace, causes us to not have a defeatist attitude about it. In fact, quite the opposite. Because God is the hero of our story. It's God who acted in Christ to save us. It's God who has given us every spiritual blessing in this life and the life to come in Christ. So we strive for holiness with God's help, all the while motivated and assured by the fact that it's not going to be how well we've done the job that decides our standing before God. It's God who will work to keep us standing firm till the end. God is faithful to his promise to do all these things by sheer grace. So be thankful for one another for being church. Don't be agony ants or self-help gurus. Pastor one another in the gospel and live holy lives encouraged, empowered, and emboldened by God's grace. Now, I've called this series Upside Down, and at first I had the idea to call it that because the gospel turns everything, our thinking, our living, our worldview, turns everything upside down. But actually, that's the wrong way around, isn't it? If we unquestioningly just get on with our lives in this world, make our own way, we'll end up like the Corinthians. We'll take on worldly ways of thinking and behaving and just try to fit in God around that where it's convenient. And that thinking and living, that's what's getting everything the wrong way up, upside down. Being reminded of the gospel message, God's grace to us, like Paul's done at the start of this letter, helps us to think and to see clearly so that we know how to live. So that we know the right, what the right way up looks like. So we have the right heart behind why we do what we do. So I hope you enjoy this letter with us this turn. It's going to urge us, with God's help, to apply the good news of God's grace to us in Jesus, to turn our upside-down lives the right way up for God's glory. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this reminder of your grace to us in Christ, and may we never forget it. May that... May I keep shaping and moulding and who we are and why we do what we do. Please grow us to be more like Jesus for your glory. Amen.